0: Thunder, lightning, and torrential rain is closing in on a small group of explorers searching for the ancient tomb of Genghis Khan in the heart of Mongolia. Trees are crashing down in front of them as the team run for cover. Suddenly, an artifact surfaces from the underbelly of the forest floor, and in that moment, the expedition leader's life would change forever. I couldn't go back. Your you just put it out there? She said you've got less than a list of the year to listen Just dug even deeper. is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I couldn't That
1: I. was the turning point.
0: Hi, I'm Phil Corgan. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast, where I talk to mavericks, innovators, and disruptors. People who take chances. Those who swerve off the predictable road, face their fears, and refuse to say no. Amazingly resilient people who are motivated and tenacious. Those who have said Bucket, and who epitomized what it means to tick it before you kick it. For centuries, historians have wondered about the location of the tomb of Genghis Khan, the 13th century warrior famous for uniting the nomadic tribes of Mongolia and creating one of the largest empires in history. In 2009, Dr. Albert Lin, described as a 21st century Indiana Jones, went in search of the last resting place of the emperor. Using satellites, drones, remote sensors, ground-penetrating radar, and the coordinated help of millions of people online, this award-winning scientist, adventurer, and National Geographic explorer embarked on a highly ambitious and groundbreaking expedition that would dramatically change the way we explore the world. I caught up with Albert Lin between National Geographic assignments to hear the story of his mind-blowing mission to find the ancient tomb of Genghis Khan. Albert and his team had already secured permission to enter the Forbidden Zone in Mongolia to go hunting for the burial site. Thanks to Lin's state-of-the-art technology and the help of millions of people pouring over satellite imagery, they had narrowed down their search over thousands of miles to one small area. We start in the middle of the expedition. The excited team are on the pursuit. You, you can imagine a
1: situation where we're in the middle of, a, of an area known as the Forbidden Precinct. In Mongolian, it was called the ik. Khorik, which means the great taboo zone. And for literally 800 years, from the moment of Genghis Khan to now, nobody was allowed in this place except for members of the imperial family or the shaman who go and worship this one particular mountain in the center of this forbidden precinct. And in Mongolia, you think of this place as this big sort of grassy plain region. But no, it's really diverse. I mean, we're, we're right on the border of Russia and, and out Mongolia, and there's these huge mountains everywhere uh, and big pine trees and we're on the very top of this mountain and this storm is whipping through because they build in the afternoon. And as I'm looking across the plains, you realize that you can see this storm building and growing all around you and it's getting darker and darker and darker. And we're up on the top of this ridge with all this metal gear because we're trying to measure something under the ground that we can't see. So we have these basically like these backpacks with these cesium magnetometers on our, on our back. They're lightning Sounds rods. like, yeah, lightning Yeah, it's rot. horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's and, and you're sitting there, and the wind is picking up really quickly. And uh, and and you know you only have a moment, right? I, I'd given everything in my life to try to get to that moment. And so you didn't want to really stop the survey to go find safety, but you got to go do it. So I call the thing, and I say, everybody, we got to get down. You know, we got to get back down to camp. We can't be up here on this exposed ridge while this lightning storm is coming through and we're running down off this ridge, and the wind is just, I mean, at that point, almost knocking us over. Uh, and as we're running down the side of this this mountain, the southeast flank of this mountain, the sunny side of this mountain, and everything in Mongolia really relates to the sun, all these huge pine trees just started falling all around us, because the wind got to that critical point where the thin topsoil couldn't hold the roots down, and they'd, they'd, they'd fall down and rip up this This really does sound like
0: something from a movie, like special effects where yeah. things are being ripped out of the ground. Big yeah, trees falling like around you? In,
1: uh, all around us, you know, as we're running down the side of this hill, you know, trying to find safety from the lightning. These trees are toppling around one after the other. I think we counted something like eight or nine trees that, that fell in that storm, in that one storm. And uh, and you know, you, you have this kind of moment of fear, but then something else gives way, right? Because it's the unexpected things that come out of this totally random moment that end up changing everything, right? Like it was—it was this place where we had the opportunity to go and survey using tools that could look into the ground without digging for something really kind of profound, like, like the ultimate archaeological mystery.
0: Which in this era is so rare. Like you feel yeah. like all of those discoveries are gone and there's no chance to have this moment but you you were having this moment. And it,
1: and it was and it was something where almost like the forces of nature were colliding to at first you'd think push us off the side of this mountain. But then what ended up happening was that it was in the roots of those trees that had just fallen down that the mountain literally revealed itself to us. What was what was buried in the roots of those trees was what would be you know maybe the most significant find that I've ever come across in my
0: life, right? and that we're gonna to get to because pretty extraordinary. You, you, did you always dream of being an explorer? Yeah. Like, well, I mean, can you was, can you remember the first time you thought I'm gonna be an explorer one day?
1: There's this romantic notion of what an explorer means.
0: And what do, what does it mean to you?
1: You know, I guess to me it's always just meant that you are willing to put yourself. Uh, basically on the boundary of your understanding of the world and constantly shift your understanding of the world right It's not like you have to go out and make some big discovery but it's rather that those discoveries every single day continue to to open up yourself to new horizons right it's like it's basically about being curious. so I yeah. don't feel like there's some difference between you know uh, Marco Polo and uh, you know John Doe who's sitting there being curious. they're both explorers right? I just felt very lucky in that the romantic notion of an explorer, the actual, like, going out and riding a horse into the forbidden lands of some ancient culture to go and find ancient tombs amidst crazy storms, like, that actually still exists. And so, <laughs> I you know, you think of it as a child as something that happens in movies. Or and that's then
0: in some history book. In some history it's book. It's all gone. There's no more of these big discoveries left. we got to go to outer space to have these moments. And then all of a sudden... You start living those moments,
1: uh, and you realize that we're on this continuum of discovery as human beings. It's not like all of a sudden it's happening, or it just happened last hundred years ago, and, and, and it's over. It's like, it's really like we're on this great continuum, and some of the most profound discoveries are literally just right around the corner, and they will continue to always be just right around the corner.
0: This story, this Genghis Khan story, is such a, an important story, you're now in Mongolia. This is a story that you want to follow. There's a sort of naivete there, I guess, about the responsibility of looking for that story and oh, also yeah. whether you're allowed to tell that story maybe.
1: I grew up hearing a very different story of Genghis Khan. I yes. grew up hearing a story of Genghis Khan that came from the West, which was actually crafted by him at the time because he, he kept a lot of scholars alive wherever he would show up. And spread these stories of horrible fear and all of those stuff. But from the Mongolian perspective, and really from the, you know, uh, uh, from my perspective. Yeah. There's something really fundamentally, unbelievably powerful about this individual's charisma. What happened to one person where that one person who was outcasted to die, his wife had been stolen from him, his father had been murdered, his he was a second son of the second wife of the father who had been murdered by his enemies, his own tribe had turned themselves against him, he was in the middle of a set of warring tribes that didn't get along with each other, and then below them were these great nations like the Shisha and Persia and others that were, that were basically enslaving them. And from one moment, this one dude who had nothing, outcasted to die, had only the will in his heart and the horse that he was riding on, would be able to change his fate, fight back, take back his control of his own tribe, then, then beat all the other tribes, bring them all under one banner, create this thing called Mongolia, and then in a single lifetime, go out and create the largest empire in human history, both in landmass and population, wow. off the back of his horse. When the contemporaries were writing, you know, were 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 at the time, you know, living in castles, knight, mounted knights, and things like this, uh, the great empires of Persia collapsed because of this one person's willpower. Like, what what was it? What what is that? Right. Mm. So that person I didn't know about until I finally got there.
0: Mm.
1: But to me, I grew up in the West, hearing this very different version, and then only hearing about the Alexander the Greats or the Napoleons or all these other. You know, sort of classic conquerors, but then to realize that actually the greatest story actually came out of Asia and maybe my own ancestry, that was really profound.
0: As you start to make your way towards digging in and uncovering some of the mysteries of this time, how easy was that or how hard was, oh, it was that? That's intense.
1: Like, like for example, the Mongols, uh, you know, for a large part, are conflicted about whether the tomb should even be found. The tomb of Genghis so, Khan, so d-
0: d- explain this to us for for, the, for those who don't know. there is a for a long time, there were obviously, there were these mysteries, right? So there's so many unanswered questions and And this tomb explain this to us,
1: so that guy I was talking about, Genghis Khan, who created the largest empire in human history. Um, we don't know anything about him. We don't even know what he looked like. We had, there's never been a painting of him while he was alive there's never been a story that was written about him by his own people while he was alive it's just like this legendary smoking gun right but but there is no actual evidence to who this person was and and for somebody to have shaped human history in such a fundamental way and to, and to, like my, i just want to know who that person was you know because i reflect in these stories what my own humanity could be you know, that's what we do. We look around at these examples of humans and then you think, well, that's possible, right? But we have no idea who this person really was. So there's never been a single one of the tombs of he or anybody in his family that have ever been found. And all of this... But they
0: know they exist
1: because of writings from... There is one document that kind of showed up again. This is a real mystery story. Mm-hmm. So there's do- there's a document called The Secret History of the Mongols, which showed up about 100 years ago again. and had to get translated from a, a, a Chinese script to make the phonetic sounds of the ancient Mongol language and it describes one place mm. uh, a single mountain that was the most significant spiritual place of, of, of Genghis Khan in the Mongol Empire as a whole and that mountain exists supposedly in the center of this thing called the Forbidden Precinct and today there's still this place called the, 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 the highly restricted zone that encircles this one particular mountain there are still shamans who every year go to this one mountain to worship the side of this mountain. They're the only ones allowed in. And, you know, all the way back to Marco Polo, who wrote about this place. Nobody's been allowed in there. Uh, and as the times have evolved, the Mongolians have gone through these different periods where their culture was, was, was obfuscated by, by control. They, they were a satellite state of Russia for a while. They weren't allowed to talk about Genghis Khan because of fear of national revival, all these different things. And finally there's this moment where it's all opened up again and and what I did was I said you know what I have an engineering degree my tools in engineering allow us to try to look at things in different ways and if anybody can find this tomb there's all this other stuff around the situation that make it really difficult to prove it because you can't dig it up because the Mongols who still worship this mountain believe that if you disturb their, the spirit of Genghis Khan by disturbing the tomb, then you basically you know you cause it's a the death rays. sentence. Yeah, exactly right. It's over. And so I started thinking about like, well, I, my PhD is in material science and engineering, where we use tools to look at the invisible through X-rays and you know uh, all sorts of different things. So I'm going to apply the same thing finding this tomb, of using satellites, that. drones, radar systems, magnetometers. I give myself a year to raise funds to try to find this tomb using the tools that I had, you know, imagined. We, we created new tools. We created new things, like this satellite program where we could use crowds to stare at satellite imagery in parallel. We invented the, this thing that we turned into a company later that was used by... Uh, Explain when, what it is? It was So we basically took millions of square kilometers of satellite imagery, chopped it up into little bits... And then, or hundreds of thousands of square chopped it up into little bits, and then had people stare at each little bit and tell us what they saw in that imagery, and then over time, lap their inputs to find where they were converging independently, and then find this map of what all the anomalies across this whole forbidden precinct were, and and it really worked. When you see all the data fall into the map, you see all these little like horse trails and anomalies pop up and all those anomalies we, we went to the top 100 anomalies statistically that were being tagged by the crowd this is so and amazing. found all these different tombs. so you
0: put this up online so that yeah. people could connect and they yeah were, so they became yeah. like
1: online explorers totally yeah we invented this thing we called it tom nude which in mongolian means the big eye uh, and i turned it into this is this, this comp-
0: that sounds revolutionary I mean, is it this was. ever been it, done it, before it,
1: well at the time it was uh, there was some stuff that was coming out in the idea of, of crowdsourcing it hadn't yeah. really happened yet where they the word crowdsourcing wasn't even really there right. so things like fold it where they're using this uh, this protein folding game to get people to play a game to do this one of my um one of my greatest inspirations was when Steve Fawcett went missing. Absolutely. And they yeah, used Mechanical that. Turk to try to try to look for him using some groups of, of people staring at satellite imagery. So then we built this thing and then and then when Malaysia Airlines lost their plane, they yes. used my platform. They actually I sold the, the platform to the satellite imagery providers. They used it and they had, oh, they had eight really million genius. people in a single week. Go through a million square kilometers of ocean data.
0: Eight million people working together. It was how amazing is that? That's mind-blowing stuff. How wonderful that you brought this into the world. The idea that this has come out of your head, this idea, and that it has just rolled out like that, and that's something you can watch, and your energy is just just scattered through yeah. the world like that. It's and it, awesome. and
1: it, it wasn't just I even mean, it was me and my my best friends really. You know, I, it takes a team to do everything. Of course. And, and, and what I'm very lucky for is that I had some of the most incredibly inspiring people around me at the time that were giving me couches to sleep on, that were, you know, like building little closets for me in their storage spaces so I could live off it of takes nothing a village, like, while building this project, yeah. right? And then, you know, my friend coded the first platform prototype because he felt sorry for me when I broke up with my girlfriend at the time. And that was like the first prototype, right? And this same team went on to go and be with me in the field of Mongolia. They were my my right hand and my left hand and everything around me. And they, they supported the whole concept. So it wasn't just me. It was an entire team of individuals who right. believed in something audacious and then but made it
0: become real. But it, being the catalyst sometimes is so rewarding because when you, when you see that energy go out and you see other people pick up on your idea mm. and, and then they want to contribute and then you give them that acknowledgement. It's so nice to be a part of something like that.
1: It's an honor, you know, and, and and it only happens a few times in your life, but you know those times when they are happening. Yeah. You sort of know when you've come together in a moment where you are greater than the sum of your parts
0: and some magic is happening. Right? i got to find out what's going on with the tomb now. So, um, so, all right, so you get there, there's resistance. People are thinking, hey, Albert Lynn, man who wants to ride away on a horse into the sunset, this is great that you're here. But we don't necessarily want you to go into this sacred place. It's it it's it's special to us. Mm-hmm. And who are you to be here doing sure. this? So how do you then get to the point of being able to get, get their trust and get that access? How does that happen? You know, it comes down to just and does it a few involve moments? alcohol? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely. There's lots of bottles of vodka. No, there is. Uh, there's definitely one particular moment that I can think of where it was a turning point. Okay. Um, you know, there's many of those little moments look, that lined up to make it possible. And I finally get this first little grant uh, from Nat Geo. Uh,
0: it was A uh, dream come true. A dream true. come true.
1: And, and, I, and I'm, I'm not vetted at all, basically, right? Not, I mean, not by, I am vetted by Nat Geo as this academic, but in Mongolia, nobody had ever heard of me. And, and I'm some young kid that came out of the West to, with a Chinese last name to do this thing, and they're like, what the and there was this one moment where, you know, and it was just such a shit show getting into the country because everybody's flights were all changed, messed up. And in the middle of that, as we're about to land, I'm in a layover, and I get this message from my, who's supposedly going to be my main collaborator out there, this really sort of veteran academic, who says that uh, the whole thing's off, uh, that... I, my budget for the expedition was 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 almost uh insulting to the country uh, that that this to to launch a search of this magnitude for something this important with this ragtag team of of young unvetted scientists with with uh you know a, a pretty small discretionary budget was just unacceptable go home and i'm landing and I've just given a year of my life, my first grant ever. Everything's on this moment, and and i in three hours. I'll show up in the capital with no collaboration, and and not only that, he was supposed to set us up with our house and everything else, and pick us up and like get us all there. Nothing again, nothing. So I land and I'm just on my own, like I'm I'm just a tourist in the country with nothing. What is going to happen? So finally, I, I quickly I scramble and I get a hotel room. And I have I I, sh- I sort of get the other team back to the, like as they're all landing one by one into this hotel room. And we start having these little incremental meetings where we're opening up the door again. We're saying, "This, you know, we're here. You said we're going to collaborate. Let's talk." And the first couple of meetings, I mean, it was to the point in which they were we sort of sitting there having tea with this minister of culture or something like this. And halfway through, he'd stand up, take his cup of tea, and throw it on the ground, and walk out and slam the door. I mean, that's how bad it was. It was that's, not going to. That's pretty bad, Yeah, it was. It was yeah. like all this, all this time, all this moment, all this, all this hype put everybody's belief in me and now this is that moment. Uh and I remember at that exact moment the the feeling of rejection and and failure, you know, like this just sort of like gut-wrenching feeling of how could I have gotten this close and then failed. And and we went out to the to the hotel and we sit down for a beer and I was amongst my friends you know, my closest friends uh, who had just believed in me for a year, and we literally had this conversation where we sat there and we said, "You know what? We just have to will this thing into reality. We're just gonna we're just gonna take everything negative that comes out of the next meeting and just judo move like just judo move our way around it." And throw something positive in response. Like we won't even acknowledge what they say if it's negative. We just be
0: like, "Oh, we're gonna ignore boom. the cups being smashed on the ground. <laughs> just and just be positive. Move, from. Move. yeah. Like, wow, that, that now you can clean wow, the that floors. Was really cool. Yeah, <laughs> anyway. and we
1: have this chance to do this thing that's gonna change the world. And that's gonna that's gonna change our understanding of this incredibly important culture that's part of our our collective history. And boom, 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 and." From that exact moment forward it was like the entire the entire momentum just shifted. It was just that conversation it was like okay, this is our strategy now. Instead of confronting the negative with a response to the negative, we'll just judo move it, move on, be positive. That's it. Just like just just move it. Just go through it. Just get past it. Just go through it. every meeting one after the other. Boom, get past. Boom, move through, move through, move through and then within 4 days later we were packing these massive military trucks provided by the Mongolian government to go into the center of this forbidden precinct that hadn't been traveled to for 800 years by decree of Genghis Khan himself, that people like Marco Polo had written about in their legacy stories, this place that nobody could get access to,
0: we were going. Incredible. What was that feeling like when you rolled out in those trucks and you're <laughs> heading out, You're wishing you were on a horse. Or were you on a horse leading the trucks? Yeah, I was a few times. So can we go back now to the storm? The trees are falling down. Oh, shit. And yeah, yeah, so let's go back there because I want to now hear... Okay, After so there's all of this, this so, so you beat through to hell and back to and, get and there. and
1: just getting to like the politics aside, and then we we'll have to make our way through this incredibly rough terrain. Yes. You know, in the midst of storms, mo- the worst torrential storms in forty years, they say, that are just coming through and flooding these valleys, and then we're and we're driving these huge trucks up through these rivers that are covered in quicksand, and like you know, there's there's these swollen swollen rivers that we have to cross with these huge trucks and all these horses, and the trucks get stuck over and over and over again. So we go and get all these horses and we have to scout ahead. We these horses up into the, up into these uncharted mountains. And there's there's bears and there's wolves and there's all sorts of things that are out there that are supposed to try
0: to kill you. All the ingredients for a great adventure. Yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah,
1: bandits, shaman, you know, like the whole deal. And the crowd had sent us to this anomaly, this thing on this one particular mountain. Looked like a. I don't know, like a circle, something. We make our way to that mountain because we know that even if it's a modern shrine built by the shaman, it indicates the most something different in this whole vast uncharted region. And we get to this mountain, and and it's just, it's clearly a significant place, right? There's a big, there's a big sh- sort of teepee-like shrine at the base, and then in the middle, and then on the top, you can see some kind of teepee-like shrine at the top. And so we go, to, we start hiking up to the top of this mountain. And that, but actually, before we even get there, we stop. And, and, and the, the, it's just so mystical. I mean, there's like this fog that's rolling up the valley every evening. The, the goats that we brought with us for food are freaked out every night by something in the woods around us. You know, like the, all the Mongolians that we're with, there's a lot of them. They're all kind of more somber in this place. It's like it's, it's a sacred place, right? And we finally make our way up to the top of this peak. Snowcap peak and uh, and you see this huge shrine and and that 's when the storm comes whipping through right and I think to myself i 'm just transported back to this moment because maybe it was this mountain, this exact mountain upon which one individual 's choice to re to 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 reimagine their situation to choose a new reality that one person in this one particular place changed the course of human history for all of us from that one place in a really profound way. Huh. I mean, you think about what would have happened if Mongolia didn't exist, if Genghis Khan didn't exist. The whole landscape would be different. The whole geopolitical world would be different. There's China, the shape of China was traded by the Mongols. You know, the, 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 the whole Middle East, they, 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 they attribute to their downfall and irrigation because of the Mongols. Like, think about that from yeah. this one mountain. This one moment with one person's belief in themselves. Yeah. And at that moment, the storm comes whipping through. I'm sending this down inside of this mountain. And we're just sort of scrambling to get down there after surveying this thing. And these trees are toppling down. Boom, boom. And we get down. And it's like, ah. And I'm the last one down because I'm, I believe it. Like, I'm sort of really into these like, sort of captain's novels. I, used to yeah. I was
0: obsessed with... Go like down that. with your ship. <laughs> yeah, so I'm the last <laughs> one down. I'm like, everybody Good job. You're holding I'm onto good. the wheel yeah. on the Titanic. It's like, yeah, I'm going to be I'm, here. And I'm getting
1: end. down the side of this, uh, this mountain to the middle plateau uh, in, in this storm. And, and I hear with the radio that somebody had seen... My buddy Luke said he saw like four or five trees fall down in this one area. The next day we come up, uh, we're hiking up. I'm not the first one up. Somebody else is up. And I get this to the plateau and all these trees are sort of there. And my really close friend and our geologist who grew up in the mountains of Colorado picking little lost arrowheads with his father, um, he's standing behind one of the, these roots of these trees that have been kicked up and uh and he just he, he looks like, like he's seen a ghost, you know? And he, and he's just he out get over here, get over here And he's whispering. Like, what is it? And, and as if the trees were just sort of, like, you imagine a big root tree, and he's just poking his head out the side, and he's looking at me. And he just goes like this. He just goes. And in his hand is this thing. He's just holding this thing. I'm from across the forest. I'm like, what, what is that? I run across. I come up to him. He hands me this thing. I'm staring at it. It's, it's like this medallion with a lion's face staring at me, right back at me. This ancient thing turned up in the roots of these trees. and I look at the roots of these trees, and there's these bricks all stuck in the roots of these trees, mangled in the roots of these trees, in this, on the side of this sacred mountain in the middle of this forbidden precinct. Wow. And we started looking around from one to the next, and we realized that we're, we're covered in this, all this rubble that just got kicked up. So we start walking from tree root to tree root to look. And as we're walking, our feet are literally crunching underneath us. So we pick up the grass and we just look under the grass. We're standing on a roof. Wow. An ancient roof.
0: Unbelievable. (laughs) Literally changed my life. Oh, my God. Are they going to leave it the way it is? Or what happened after that?
1: Well, it's it's a long story. So we had three more years serving the whole thing. Uh, And when we are about to publish a lot of our work, we got an embargo because they needed to find the proper way to sort of protect this area. Yeah, And the Ministry of Culture ended up submitting this mountain as a UNESCO World Heritage Site, uh, in part from our findings, but also because they described it as the most significant sacred mountain in the Mongol world. Uh, And so now it's basically up to the Mongols to decide what to do. I I don't want to be this sort of... I think the era of Indiana Jones coming in and blowing everything up and running away with the golden chalice are over and that like you know the whole reason why I was doing this search anyway was to try to understand more about myself and if there's a culture that's actually living this this history still today and that I feel a responsibility to that culture then it's really up to them to decide how they want this information used but we've got you know this massive report all of our findings on the side of this mountain. I can't say conclusively that it is the tomb or not because we didn't find DNA or, you know, like a plaque saying this is Genghis Khan's tomb. But it, it's, it's the, a series of buildings on the side of a sacred mountain in the middle of the Forbidden Precinct that, that is where all historical sources point.
0: One of my favorite quotes is, luck is the residue of design. And you've got a similar quote that I read, um, which just talks about luck and how you make your own luck. Um, and something drove you to go there and you opened a door not just for yourself but for others now and it does go back again to this whole idea of where human beings were curious and we must continue to be curious we must continue to be explorers and look out into the world and you hear a story like that and your kids are obviously hopefully well let's hope that with all these adventures they're going on with you, that they also want to go out and explore the world. But maybe people also listening to this will do something. It doesn't have to be going to Mongolia and wanting to ride out on a horse with a GPS unit, but um, maybe they'll go just explore their own neighborhood or they'll mm. go explore the state they live in. But yeah. just to be more curious.
1: Well, I think, I think there's, a, there's a second part of that for me, which is around the purpose, yes. you know, the sort of why. Uh, why do we need to be explorers? Why do we need to be curious? What I do find over and over again in life mm-hmm. is that the greater the experiences you have with the human condition and with the world at large, the greater you can expand your capacity to empathize. Right? Like If, if you realize that the world is bigger than your little corner, and that our history goes far back beyond your birth, and that we're part of a longer narrative, then you start empathizing with your mm. role in the world in a different way, right? And I think this moment, this moment in our, in our human history is one in which we desperately need more empathy. I mean, you think about all the things that we face, all the challenges that we face. It's just so much driven by misunderstanding mm-hmm. and, and by, by uh, an inability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, yeah uh, and and i think the sort of awe and and mystical nature of exploration and and, and you know the, the adventures to find this ancient tomb were really you know part of a larger thing which was a quest to try to find more about for me about myself because i was looking for not only the uh, the ability to be audacious and have that moment but also like who was it that I was really looking for. Was mm. it a tomb or was it an individual or was it just the, the people that I was around right there? You know, when, when I think about a quote uh, by a, a mentor of mine, when he was talking about finding the tomb of Genghis Khan, he says, you don't really need to go and look for the tomb, just look in the eyes of any nomad and you'll find them right there. Mm. And, uh, and maybe that's why I went in the first place I think the whole reason why we should explore as individuals and stay curious, the whole purpose behind it, is that the more we explore, the more curious we are, and the, and the greater the world that we find around us, uh, the more humbling it is to realize just how lucky we are to be a part of this grander world. And I think the greater responsibility we'll put on our ability to empathize with those around us.
0: So, Albert, for young people listening. And they're asking you for advice about maybe how they go out into the world and experience the world. What do you think is the best advice for young people who want experiences like the ones you've had? Or mm. when when people yeah. ask you for advice, what what do you say?
1: Uh, a couple of things, you know. One from my own personal experience that you really do have the power to imagine any reality you want like i could be sitting here looking at this situation and see it in one way or i could see it in another way and it could be the exact same situation but one could be a very good thing and one could be a very bad thing and so you have the you have a choice in how you see every situation and how you see a situation is actually incredibly important to how that situation actually unfolds the second thing is is that i think a lot of people focus on their plan b before they focus on their plan a that's really interesting it's like they 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 do all the things they need to do to have the right safety net for when they're going to take their big risk. But they never actually take their big risk.
0: You know, it's interesting. A good friend of mine who I rode across America with and rode around France with, retracing 1928 Tour de France, Ben, um, really great guy. He said he just did this huge run uh, around the Grand Canyon. And people had a choice to buy insurance, to get out, to guarantee a spot on the bus to get out in case they couldn't run on the second day. And he said, to your point, that plan B already meant that people were out. most likely not going to make the choice. And he said, <clears throat> the ones that bought that insurance plan, they came out, they went out there to run the whole thing. But those people that bought the insurance, those are the people on the bus. Yeah. Exactly. So they'd already they were already working on Plan B. He said, "I purposely did not buy mm-hmm. a guaranteed spot on the bus because I needed to know my Plan A was to finish." That's and he right.
1: Did. You got to commit. You got to burn your ships to the banks of Veracruz. You know, it's like you've got to go all in. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that what I, what I found is that my greatest moments in life are those in which I went all in, even if it was incredibly uncomfortable and at, at extremely high risk. Uh, and and you know, I mean, for those of you out there who 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 don't have a ton of responsibilities yet, you're ne- you're never going to be more free than you are right now. So you might as well go for it, right? Uh, but at the same time, there's never a moment where you shouldn't just go for it. You should always bet on yourself, basically, and 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 bet on and bet on your plan A. I think. Uh,
0: and and you you really epitomize that. I mean, you lost a leg, hmm. and one of the things I read about you was that. I think it was five weeks late. Was it how how many weeks later was that you were skiing? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, so you yeah, you obviously a, your a plan you could have gone to Plan B, which is oh woe is me, and but you went to a place like, okay, this is my situation. I got to deal with it. I mean, tell me mm-hmm. about that. Like, what drove you to the slope so quickly?
1: I mean, it was only about a year and a half ago uh, where I found myself lying under this vehicle with my leg crushed and this. Horrible accident, you know. And right at that moment, I did have somebody come up and wrap their hands around my head and just start chanting Om. This person who was incredibly special to me, uh, and and sort of like getting me through the meditation of dealing with the pain in the initial moments of the accident. The idea that I was sitting there in that moment, trying to figure out, did I lose something, or did I gain a rebirth, uh, was was pretty big in that in those coming weeks that followed. And it it manifested itself in all sorts of different forms. Everything from excruciating phantom limb pain to having to make the decision about whether or not to amputate my leg. I mean, they could have tried to salvage my leg, but they would have had to take other parts of my body, like muscles from my back, my stomach. and And then they said I would never walk again normally and I wouldn't surf for sure. Or I could go all in into the rebirth moment and try something totally new rather than keep this salvaged, debilitated ghost of a Uh And it just was so clear. The more you're open to the realities that may come and to the, your power to choose to see those realities in certain ways, the more you are actually able to write your own narrative.
0: Well, you're a young man and you've written a pretty good narrative so far. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what you're going to be doing. Next. Working with you, man. We're going to go do some crazy stuff. Yeah, we should go do something. <laughs> uh, that crazy lab. That well, I, I mean, this, listen, we have to get you back on again because there's just so much to talk about. Yeah. Um, I, I did want to ask you a, a couple of questions. If you were going to take a road trip and mm. you were going to take three people from any period in history, I'm figuring that Genghis Khan might be somebody who would be in the car with you driving across the country. I
1: think I already I already hung with him for a while, but yeah, I totally. Well,
0: I mean, but, but maybe you've got a few more questions. Would, but yeah. who would you take on a on a road trip? Anybody from any period in in history?
1: Oh, yeah, it's it, it is about those those people who came from unexpected moments to create the world that they saw fit. I mean, it would be Jenghis, right? Yep. Uh, you know, it would possibly that big, huge Chinese Admiral Zheng He, you know, the guy who sort of like sailed around the world. And I just want because nobody really knows if it really happened. I just want to know that they did it really happen. Yep. Um, maybe Nikolai Tesla. Ooh. You know, this, this, the guy who was like a un, misunderstood magician of, of, our human creativity and innovation. I think that guy would be really interesting because he was coming up with some stuff at the time, legitimately awesome stuff that could really help our world now, that uh, was squelched by the powers that be, you know, the industries that sort of run our world today had a large hand in in shaping the world. They did, you know. I think that there is definitely room for rebellion when it comes to innovation. Uh, And that might get me in trouble for even saying that but but i do and i think that i look back to try to understand how to go forward i go back and understand these 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 characters of of our human story because i know that that tells you what's possible in you Mm. but i also think that you know we have this unbelievable responsibility right now to to shift the narrative right now yeah yeah I think that we can take a lot of those lessons, both practical and also metaphysical, and, and 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 channel it forward. Right? Like there is not some unique moment now where we are smarter than we were before. There's been innovation forever. And I think that it's time that we start being a little more humble looking at those other those other old notebooks and finding the solutions that can help us go forward further, faster and and in a way that actually allows us to have a A chance at surviving this great ordeal that we're about to enter Uh, and really what I'm talking about is that we live on one little teeny rock in the middle of a vast universe uh, and that little rock is in dire need of a lot of empathy and a lot of good ideas
0: that yeah amen to that absolutely uh albert the last time you laughed so hard that you cried can you remember that moment you know, the
1: truth is, it was just a couple of days ago. It was just me and my kids out in the great deserts of Utah and Arizona and Nevada. We were crossing this highway called the loneliest highway in the country across Nevada, going over these big mountains into this desert in our little camper van that we had just bought. And it wasn't like we were laughing at some moment, but we collectively, the three of us, my two kids and I, have been talking about getting this camper van since they were born. In fact, I had bought one because uh, my, I fa- you know, my, my parents had an old hippie pop top Westphalia. Oh, and so yeah, you know, it was totally, I, I was totally into it, right? And then when my son was born, I ended up trying to buy one, uh, a really cheap one oh, used, and, and it, you it, hear that? <laughs> and it, uh, it died my own heart. Two days later, and never ran again. So finally, years later, after working really hard to save up, we, we all saved up every time the kids wanted to buy some new toys. Like, no, we got to save for this van. We're going to save for the van. We finally had our van. And just last week, we crossed this vast desert together in this van. It felt like we were in a spaceship. And um, we were just laughing so hard we were
0: crying. love it. And your last day on Earth, Albert, if you, if you knew that tomorrow was your last day, what would you do with that day? I do that every day.
1: You live it every day. You know, you just try to be authentic in every moment. Honestly, what I would do is I, I would do what I love doing best, which is being in our little spaceship with my kids.
0: I love that, Albert. We have so much more to talk about. I'd love to be able to get you to come back. Mm. Um, I love how you've embraced technology. We haven't got into your thoughts about mind mapping and I I want to understand more about that so will you come back and maybe share some more stories
1: absolutely I would love to you know I I I think you know technology is a part of me but I am also I'm I'm just exploring what this whole thing is so every single day it changes my reality changes so I I would love to come back it'll be a totally different story next time
0: (laughs) I, I like that and uh maybe we'll yeah well we'll get deep into that when we come but listen thank you so much Yeah, and it's really great to have you on Explorer. You're like the perfect guy to be on Explorer. I mean, (laughs) you you are the guy. If you have a really cool story that you want to share with us, then why not share it? Maybe you'll become my next guest. Don't forget, you can watch this podcast online at philcogan.com.